You're listening to the Child Life Cooperative Podcast, a place where child life professionals share their real and honest stories with host and certified child life specialist, Allie Jones. So, how does a child life specialist get 91% of children to complete an hour-long MRI without any sedation? How does a surgery unit go from resisting a child life specialist to now advocating for child life in the OR for induction? Today's podcast is called Starting from Scratch with Child Life Specialist guest Ginger Manzella, who shares her experience creating a successful child life program in hospital units that had never had a child life specialist before. Now, here's this week's honest story. Hello, hello. I am Allie, and this is Ginger. Hello, Ginger. Hi, Allie. I'm so excited to be interviewing you today. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be interviewed by you today. We are going to be talking about what it's like to start from scratch, and you have quite the interesting story of really pushing into various areas in the hospital. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about what those areas were that you have had to start from scratch in? Sure. I was uh, blessed to work in another hospital for about 10 years, and I was able to work in multi multiple areas and multiple units. Um, so when I came here, we did not have a child life specialist in our surgical units or in anesthetic imaging units. So mm-hmm. I was asked to come on and start up those programs. Was this mainly a pediatric area or were there some adults or what, what kind of population was that like? So we're a children's hospital within a hospital and we have um, a mix of both pediatric and adult patients in both of these settings. Mm-hmm. So I work, of course, with all the pediatric patients. We do try to... Um, have areas that are, you know, including only children, and then we have the adult sides of, say, PACU. Um, There are bays with curtains, but we keep one end pediatrics and one end um, for adults only. Um, And thankfully, we have all private rooms for our diagnostic imaging bays and our pre-op holding bays. So they are separate. So they have, like, so before you came on, they had been used to seeing different pediatric patients at that time, like? They did. They had pediatric patients that came in. However, they have never experienced child life. Most of them never heard about child life before. Um, So I was the first one they'd ever heard of. Yeah, big undertaking. Big undertaking. So I started um, diagnostic imaging, I will start with, because they were a a little bit more receptive. I had a really wonderful nursing manager that was excited and really cared about customer service and and, um, kids and their families. So uh, we initiated that one more by a process improvement um, program that we had initiated by the hospital itself. And I was able to get in there and start by educating the staff and the nurses um, there first. And they were really open and receptive to it and really, really just ran with it. They were able to pick up on everything. We were able to talk about language and how to talk to children. Now I can come down there and I can walk in and I can be stuck with another patient, walk in and I see them and they're in there prepping with the little wooden CT um, scanner and they're prepping with the sounds of the MRI machine and they're in there on the floor talking at a developmentally appropriate level and at eye level and making kids feel really comfortable. Um, and I'm just so proud of them. Mm, the the awesome. techs in the MRI area were a little bit more resistant. They have their own protocol and their own jobs that they need to get done. They need to, you know, keep on schedule. So the idea of, you know, taking the time and having patients where you know, is needed for children to get them in there and have them practice laying on the table first or have them look to see the movie or even just set up the movie because we're lucky enough here that we have sense of view movies in all of our MRI, um, MRI units. So 
they are able to watch a movie during that and that really helps. Um, but they were a little bit more resistant at first. Um, we started getting a few champions that could see the potential of it working. Um, and then again, did some more education, some more in-services, got management on, um, you know, excited about it as well. And then we really started seeing the numbers of um, sedation cases drop and we have really skyrocketed since the beginning of this. Um, we started with about wow. a 48% success rate of sedation uh, when I first started to now we're at about an 89 to a 91% success rate. That is incredible, Ginger. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Tell me about a time when you experienced resistance. Like how did mm. how do you respond to that as a child life specialist? Absolutely. So I have a really good example. My very first day going into surgery, um, the way we got into surgery was we actually had a surgeon here who had experienced child life before and really thought it was an, um, a great need here. And so that was part of the funding and the push was because of this particular surgeon. So when I came in the first day, I was to meet the surgeon and go in with him and his patients and just kind of get a feel for the unit. Well, I went in, I worked with this particular surgeon, and then I came out and I started to work with his patients and then some of the other kids and just kind of making my way around and introducing myself to the staff. Um, I was pulled aside by a charge nurse who was not very receptive to me being there and basically told me I am not allowed to see the other children. I'm only here for that particular doctor's wow. patients. Um, and I said, oh, I apologize. You know, there must be a um, communication error. I will get it straightened out. No problem. Well, a few minutes later, then the manager had come in and spoken to me and said, no, we run the understanding that you were only to be here for the surgeon and so forth again. So I had come down and spoken to the director and um, they clarified, no, no, you are supposed to see all the children here. That's what we're here for. And um, it was just poor communication skill, mm -hmm. um, poor communication between uh, management prior to hire and there was not really an introduction to my services to them so I really really had to start from scratch um, I had curtains closed on me nurses that didn't want to have anything to do with me um, but you know yeah kill them with kindness and you win them <laughs> over and now I just I can't even tell you how much I love that unit and those those nurses and that staff they they call me if I'm not there if I happen to be in another unit because I cover two big units um, so I'm kind of going back and forth and if I'm not there they'll call and the other unit will call and it's just it's really beautiful to see how far it's come mm, so. that's so awesome yeah what would run through your like your mind when nurses are closing curtains on you and telling you, you don't yeah, so I'm a little bit older, and, you know, I've been in child life for over, you know, for a long time, and I did, um, it, I still felt uneasy and uncomfortable when, you know, you're you're kind of put on guard, and you're thinking, okay, am I really supposed to be here? What do I do? Do I push? Do I not push? And I think every new child life specialist uh, feels that, whether you're new to the field or new to a unit or new to a new hospital, whatever the case, I think that you just have to... Um, you know your your skills. You know that you're there to help children and families. And honestly, just being gracious and patient and doing what you do and um, giving space. I would say in surgery, it can be tricky because you have to learn to do a dance. Um, surgery, there's so many people that are coming in and out of that pre-op holding room. And there's the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and the, the admitting nurse and the PCT taking vitals. And then there's um, the OR nurse that comes to do a double check before they set up the room. Um, so there's so many people that are coming in and out and you have to learn the dance of getting in there and really working to get what you need to do for the child and family 
but not step on their toes because they're on a schedule too and you've got to move aside when the anesthesiologist or that doctor needs to come in because they've got another patient they're waiting to get in and you know it kind of is cyclical um, but you also have to look at that child and say um, you can look and see that a child is coping well and they're playing mm-hmm. and they're doing okay and that you can maybe pause for a minute let other people speak or you can see a child that's not coping well and they're just timid and they're looking at the ground and they're tearful and they're clinging and you can walk over and quietly get down to their level and you can talk to that child while maybe the doctor's talking to mom and dad um, and really kind of help just by getting in there and doing play. Mm. The good old-fashioned play, earn that respect, earn that trust, earn that relationship quick. Um, I think that's key in those those fast-paced um, outpatient settings where you don't get to have a long time to create those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds too like you um, didn't go in like guns a blazing and like advocate hardcore for child life, but instead like through education and leading by example that you're able to kind of soften these people. Definitely. I'd say the more they see, the more they like. Now, again, when I first started, I was hired part-time. And so I only was here a few hours a week in each of those units. And we realized quickly that that would not work because when you, you know, you give them the resources and you show them what can be done, are they going to run with it when they only have you for four hours a week or even eight hours a week when they have to be, you know, the, the other 36 or 32 hours by themselves without child life? Are they really going to incorporate those views and those standards? No, not really. So we made a quick decision that if we really want to make a go of providing these resources and this help for these these patients, and these families in these units that we needed to be full time there so that we could really um, be there and validate the necessity of having child life and, and sh- showing what we can do. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great to have that kind of support from your your leadership too. Oh, we have great leadership, yeah. So I'm curious, based on something that you said too, like the more that they see, the more that they'll believe in this kind of sense of like demonstrating for them child life services. What about in those situations where you're helping a kid and it's they're just not coping well? Can you tell me about a time with that? And like, how did you yeah. not take that personally? And how did you still let it be a teachable moment for child, child oh, life? Oh, there's so many different ways you can handle that. Um, you know, we aren't magicians and we can't create, you know, a connection with everybody. And there's different personalities and some kids are just going to be, you know, it's a strange environment. It's, um, they're coming in for a procedure in my case, in you know, my units, um, or a surgery and it's intimidating it's scary Um, if a kid is resistant to warming up sometimes it's as little as leaving a toy or something or an ipad or something that they can connect with and letting them get comfortable first other times if i really need to work and i need to prepare i can talk through a sibling or a parent and say okay mom and dad this is what we're going to do today this is how the day is going to look and i can still talk in child-friendly language and still as if I was preparing the child, I can prepare the parent and I can prepare the sibling. It may not appear that that child's paying attention, but they are. They hear it. Um, and, and believe it or not, they can calm and relax. Mm-hmm. That's is so true. Yeah. Have you ever had nurses that seem to expect that you would be that magician and to just change it? And how do you how do you handle that? Yeah, especially when you're going into a new area. At first, I laugh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, we find that a lot, especially in other units um, that we aren't in on a frequent basis. Um, nurses that aren't familiar with what child life is, especially, um, or that frequently work with us. It's especially hard when we get kids that have sensory issues or who might be on the autism spectrum. Um, you know, there are certain things that we can do to help like weighted blankets and sensory things and um, you know coping tools that we can utilize but if we're already in a state of 
you know, high anxiety and we already have lost that battle and they're already in their, you know, fight and flight mode. There's not a lot that we can do. We can kind of come, pause, reset the scene, breathe, dim the lights, whatever the case might be, talk to parents, see what works. But we do have to explain and we can verbalize it right at the moment. You know, I see that the, the situation is already escalated. We can try this. Let's see what happens um, and just kind of verbalize out loud that and remind the nurses that, you know, it's not always going to work, but we've still done something, believe it or not. It may not appear to be um, calm, but it's calmer than it might have been. been. That's a good perspective to Mm -hmm. recognize, like, what was the value that child life was able to attribute, even if it's not as concrete and visual and in your face in that moment, too. I had another mom that came in and advocated um, to hold her baby for, uh, like, IM injections for their immunizations. And um, nursing was a little resistant to comfort holds, but the mom was aware of comfort holds and um, advocated for herself um, and held her baby. And her baby still cried, but coped so much better and rebounded so much better after the fact because he was already with his mom and he was already comforted and he was in that position and it was far less um, aggravated or agitated than having to be held down on a bed or on a table. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that we still have tears. We still have moments of upset, but it's better. Absolutely. Yeah. Have there been times when you've had to kind of let up with advocating? Like, learning like, okay, I know what's best for this patient and I know that they don't need Versed or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to advocate. When, when you are starting from scratch, when do you learn what battles to pick and what hills to die on essentially? Yeah. So there is one in particular right now, um, in our surgical unit, we tend to use Versed on almost every patient prior. Um, but knowing some of these kids absolutely do not need Versed prior to going in. They're calm, they're fine, they have no issues. Some of them are even excited to go back and see what it's like, you know. That's a little more rare, but we really do get these kids. And um, when a unit is used to doing something standard protocol and it's on automatic like order, Uh, it's hard to break that cycle, but with education, with showing, with more doing, I'm finding myself going back into the OR more frequently um, as the days pass and making sure that I'm going back and then they don't need the Versed. And, and, you know, advocating during pre-op tours to tell parents there is a medication that that is on order, is something to discuss with your anesthesiologist um, that does help calm and relax the child, um, especially for separation to go back into the OR. In our case, we don't allow parents back to the OR for any reason. Um, and it can just help if they're anxious about going into the OR. Uh, if you think that your child is good and they are a little bit more relaxed, I can even accompany the child and go back. We can even be singing. We can be watching his favorite show on the iPad. We can play Look and Find um, until he falls asleep. So there's different ways that we can help support and advocate and show staff how there are other ways than maybe what we're used to. And I have to tell you, again, I work, I'm blessed that the units that I particularly work in staff is just phenomenal and they really do want to try they see how much better the kids react and it's just been a really wonderful that's amazing um, yeah journey I'm really excited what a testament to the way that you seek to help them feel a part of the team too and like that they are able to be empowered to provide child life 
friendly intervention. I think that's key. I really think you need to remember that you are a team together and reminding them that you're all a team and that you're there just to help them so that they can do their job better and help the patient, which in turn makes your job a little easier. And in tandem, I mean, they're helping us. So we want to be a team. We don't want to go in and bulldoze. We don't want to go in there um, like we know everything because we don't. And every, every single time you walk in, I don't care how many years you've been doing this, it's going to be a new experience every time. Absolutely. So, so I think concluding with um, one final question before yeah. we jump into our last five questions, I should say. Can you tell me about one of your most proud moments where you've seen growth throughout your time of starting Script from Scratch? Yeah, I would have to say diagnostic imaging, getting our kids through MRIs without sedation. I mean, we have, like I stated before about the statistics, but the statistics don't do anything. We are now getting three- and four-year-olds through an MRI for anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour without any sedation at all, not conscious sedation, nothing. And I just, that's a testament to the whole team because it really takes myself, the nurse, and the patience of the tech to be able to let us have those moments. Um, It just is a team effort, and the parents just are so appreciative. And a parent can be bedside. If if the kids aren't sedated or or have anesthesia, then one parent can go in bedside and stay with the child as well the entire time. And there are times Mm -hmm. when I I also stay um, in there to help younger kids or really anxious kids. I'll stand behind the MRI where they can see me in the mirror the whole time, and I can do hand signals and things like that to remind them to hold still or redirect them back to the movie if they start looking around so much and um it's just it's really a a team effort and just it's been an incredible ride to see where kids have come and how far we've come with the MRIs without being sedated that's amazing and to kind of have those stats like to to have a number representative like this is where we've seen success and growth I mean how neat that that is something that you guys all take ownership of we do so twice a month the uh, the DI charge nurse and I um, meet and we actually run our statistics our data to see um you know, how often is child life involved with VCUGs and how often are we involved and successful and we keep all different things. Was there a sense of you involved? Did they need an IV? Was there J-tip used, um, which is the buffered lidocaine that we use? Um, Were they successful? Were they not successful? Those kinds of things. And it's really, really great to see the data. We're actually presenting the data to staff um, in our next month's staffing meeting for the diagnostic imaging platform. So, yeah. I bet that's a boost to morale, too. It is. That is so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing about um, the ways that you started from scratch. And Ginger, are you ready for the rapid five? Bring it on. Okay, so five questions um, with five short answers, just as a little way to kind of continue to get to know you and in your story okay so number one what is one thing you have in your distraction bag at all times well there's two but if i have to pick stress balls i love stress balls um especially if the kids do not have latex allergies i love the latex um little smiley face with the hair ones the kids love them they think it plays like it feels like play-doh and they just those are are wonderful yeah i love that Number two, what is a secret weapon to getting a kid through an MRI without sedation? 
Good preparation, practicing holding still. Use your iPad to take a picture of a hand holding it still, like a high five, and then taking a picture with them waving. And that gives them a concrete way to see why holding still is so important. I think taking that picture, hearing the sounds on the Simply Saying app can be really beneficial. Turn it up as loud as you can and have them practice holding still. And then also, if it's a really anxious child, going into the MRI room with them and standing back there and just having that visual of somebody there helps. Those are great. Thank you for sharing your secret yes. weapons too with us. Number three, finish the sentence. The one thing that gets me through the early morning surgeries and DI cases is the staff. Absolutely. 100%. I adore the nurses I work with. I just, I couldn't do it without them. What a cool way to see how, how far things have come. Yes. Number four, you are known for this, Ginger. <laughs> oh, gosh. So you have a reputation. What is your cheesiest joke you tell to build rapport with a patient? Okay, and I've noticed this only works with a little bit older kids because other kids totally don't get it, but the parents do and they laugh. Why does the turtle cross the road? Why? To get to the shell station. Oh, doom boot. I wonder if we can add something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ginger. And I, I get lots of laughs from the parents and maybe like teenagers, but some of the kids so are like, funny. yeah, what are you talking about, old lady? Oh, so, man, that's so funny. Are shells even around in Chicago? Yes, they do have shell stations. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Number five. What is one piece of advice for someone starting from scratch in a new area? Patience, perseverance, baby steps for sure. Mm. Uh, kill them with kindness. Uh, education and in-service is imperative. You really need to empower them and understand where we're coming from. Research-based really helps um, bringing anything that you can that shows evidence-based research will we'll bring them on. Uh, and show by example. Be brave and be a team player. Ginger. Thank you. Like you, it's just so cool to hear about so much growth that you've experienced and we appreciate you sharing kind of your inside scoop of what that has all been like. I'm sure there's many more stories, but we appreciate your time and we appreciate our listeners to listening for the Child Life podcast. Thank you guys so much for um, tuning in today. We encourage you to subscribe and um, look forward to sharing more stories from other Child Life specialists. We also want to hear even more stories and read more stories about Child Life specialists and what experiences they have as learning and growing opportunities. Check out our blog on childlifecooperative.com. You can also see different student resources that we have, whether you're a student, whether you work with students, or whether you knew a student. Um, they can be an awesome resource to direct people to. And uh, just to close, may we all advance the profession of child life through learning by reflection, uniting for support, and equipping students. Thank you guys so much.